0: Hi, this is Dave Davies of The Kinks.
1: Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo and welcome to Season 6, Episode 17 of Music Is Not a Genre. Are we on a roll this season or what? Thank you for watching and listening. As always, if you're just listening, go to youtube.com slash at music is not a genre. And you can see a video for every single episode that I do. Anything that's not on Patreon. Anyway, uh, thank you again. And let's just get right into it. Um, Everything else can wait until later. The episode this week, the title is The Kinks, the biggest indie band in history. So why the subtitle, first of all? I I think... That well, in fact, why don't I do this? why the why the episode in general, Why an episode on the kinks? They kind of go together. that and the subtitle. in that, I believe that the kinks, for as revered as they are, are kind of underrated. And for as long as they were around when they were, you know, creating music as a band over 30 years and then a couple of, you know, a bunch of solo albums after that by the two brothers, uh, they're still not that well known. And there's a lot of their music that a lot of people don't know. Uh, Musicians tend to know it better. And also people, I guess, were just fans of the band or people who, you know, were around when it came out, let's say, which could have been 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, uh, I mean, and 90s, but especially those decades but honestly, I think that of the four big, the big four British Invasion bands of the 60s, of course, the Beatles, Stones, the Who, the Kinks, the Kinks are the least thought about and the least talked about. I feel like, uh, yes, of course, they've all been revered, but I feel like the first three bands have gotten their due multiple times, and only in really the music world do you get a lot of uh, the, the level of reverence for the Kinks that I think they deserve. You know, now it's partly because the Beatles, the Stones, the Who have been almost ever present for you know sixty years, basically, uh, and the Kinks not so much. I think that's a probably a big reason. But that said, the Kinks are not a distant fourth in my book, and in fact, I'll tell you later on in the conclusions where I ranked them in the Big Four. Uh, you might be surprised. They were amazing songwriters and producers. They were more consistent than any 60s band to make it through to the 90s as far as their output, the quality of their work. They have influenced bands from all kinds of genres, and we'll get into that as well. And yet compared to other bands, they're indie in terms of their fandom, their recognition, even their feel and the way they developed their career, to me, for the most part. was very indie. Uh, So they have been said to have been pioneers in uh, proto-punk, Proto metal, hard rock, uh, chamber pop or Baroque pop. Brit pop, and they've even influenced uh, even early on uh, psychedelic rock. They dived into folk rock and garage rock and and some progressive rock, but mostly concept albums. They did a ton of concept albums, uh, and as usual for an episode like this, I'm going to go through my history, the chronography, look it up, uh, and conclusions. And uh, like I said, including where they rank for me among the big four, uh, the featured song, and questions. And if you go to Patreon.com slash music is not a genre you can get my bonus m extra video wherein i perform two songs a song by the kinks and a song of mine that i think was in some way influenced by the kinks patreon.com slash music is not a genre is where you get that bonus m extra so let's just get right into the history the proto version of the band formed in 1962 they were called the ray davies quartet with brother Ray and Dave, uh, and Ray's friend uh, Pete Quaife, who would be their first uh, bass player. They sometimes called the band the Pete Quaife Quartet if Pete was the one who landed the gig. Uh, One of their early vocalists, they went through a string, and a string of a couple of other musicians. Rod Stewart uh, actually sang with them for a little bit way back then. Uh, You can see from the beginning, I think, the restlessness in their personalities and in their music that would play into the way they would conduct their careers, their future contentiousness between the brothers in particular, but even other members of the band, uh, you know, that happened from the very beginning to me. Uh, Ray, and then the reason I say this is because Ray from the very beginning, 63 especially, was in that band, his band, but also was in several other bands. So it was just really feeling out, how many different things can I do? What do I want to do? Et cetera. By 63, they changed their name to the K- Ramrods, uh, and uh, also Pete Quaife Band again, and the Bo Weevils. And then they settled on the K- Ravens, so still haven't figured out what their uh, eventual name would be. By 1964, their classic lineup had come together with Ray and Dave, Pete Quaife. Uh, on the guitars, um, uh, rhythm and lead, Ray mostly on lead vocals, almost exclusively, not quite, Mick Avery on drums, and Pete on bass. Uh, Right around then, they finally, in 64, landed on the name The Kinks, because they wanted to give the band some edge, and they thought that was a kind of a cheeky way to give it edge. Uh, And of course, at some point in history, Ray said he never really liked the name, because that just fits the personality of him and the band Uh, as was typical uh, many of their early recordings were cover tunes including their first single uh, Long Tall Sally they did a cover of that Uh, Bobby Graham was their studio drummer for several songs including that cover and their first three big hits was not Mick Avery it was Bobby Graham on drums Uh, they remained Reliable hit makers through about 1967, modifying and adding to their sound from its proto-punk origins. And, and, and honestly, that isn't even their origins. And we'll find that out when I do the chronography. I'm going to do every album to a certain degree and talk about how the music developed Throughout those albums. And you'll see that a lot of it was more like takeoffs of uh, late 50s and early 60s music. Before they got to that proto-punk sound. But as I said, they would they would morph so many times uh, into sounds that they helped to freaking invent, really. Uh, like chamber pop and, and things like that. Uh, through the late 60s, they were still critically acclaimed. And into the early 70s, those albums are continued uh, continually revered. But the hits weren't happening as much until 1970 uh, when John Dalton took over for Pete Quaife on bass and they uh, put out the Lola album and uh, the songs Lola and Eight Man were hits. So they kind of came back in a way, you could say. There was more, again, an updated sound. Then they did a couple of albums like that and then they went into their experimental phase with concept albums. And even though many of their songs from the 70s... um, are well-known today, especially in the early 70s and the late 70s. They A lot of them weren't actually hits at the time, other than Sleepwalker, Rock and Roll Fantasy, in which I could fly like Superman from the kind of mid-late period of the 70s. Uh, Andy Pyle replaced Dalton on base eventually, very briefly, followed by Jim Robford, who would stick with them. For the duration. By the early 80s, they were out of their experimental period um, for a number of years and were starting to chart again, a little bit even in the late 70s. And again, with an updated and expanded sound. And the reason why I'm like blowing through this is because I'm going to get into detail, detail when I do the albums. Uh, For example, Destroyer was a kind of a metal song and was actually uh, very popular among the metalheads that I knew in school. Uh, Better Things was their usual singer-songwriter loveliness, and Come Dancing was a huge hit and had kind of that island sound to it. Though they'd have a couple of minor hits after that. They actually had a couple of bigger hits after that, and then... They started to fade after 84, let's say, uh, at which point Mick Avery left the band and Bob Henry took over on drums. Uh, They continued to make uh, music original and release original music through the mid 90s and saw a bit of a resurgence in popularity because of the Brit pop uh, wave that was happening at the time, like Oasis and Blur and Pulp and all that. Um, And that was appropriate since they... Uh, were kind of proto that music, but also appropriate because like Oasis, they had uh, feuding brothers in the band. Uh, And then they broke up officially in 96. Pete Quave died in 2010. Uh, There's been a rumor every few years of the surviving members reuniting, but even the last rumor, which spanned... Five years, from 2018 to 2023, turns out not to be true. It might have been true at one point, but they couldn't get it together, mainly because, you guessed it, the brothers can't agree on a direction. Which, you know, like my Death is Dumb series, I always think that bands who are largely or all still alive and can't get it together before one of them dies or all of them die is just a sad thing to me. It's a a dumb thing to me, and I'm sure they have plenty of reasons, but it would be great to see that. To me, they're like the Billy Joel of bands in a certain way where they had a you know a string of hits in different decades and were prolific and then stopped on a dime. The only caveat there being that Ray and Dave didn't stop. They did some solo a bunch of solo records after the band broke up and we'll talk about that. Uh, a lot of it's quite good, but just like with the Beatles, So let's get into uh, the Meat, 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 which is, of course, is albums and notable singles, my chronography. Uh, and a note here, since the U.S. releases early on, uh, just like what the Beatles were, just like repackaged uh, let's say EPs and non-album singles, or the way they, you know, changed whatever the UK released. I'm not going to talk about them. It's not important enough. I'm also not going to mention all the live albums. In uh, the only ones I'll mention are ones on which there was an uh, an original song that hadn't been recorded before, which there were a couple of those. So, to starting in 1964, you know, when they were finally the Kinks, uh, some non-album singles. Their first two singles. Uh, Long Tall Sally, the cover, and the original, I believe it was an original, You Still Want Me. Neither of them charted. Uh, though they had some of the swagger that they'd become known for, they didn't have the edge yet. And that's true on a lot of their uh, early music. Uh, but inspired by the Kingsman version of Louie Louie, they changed their sound. Getting that distortion by slashing the speaker with the razor. I, th- I imagine it was the woofer, but I have no idea. Uh, or just whatever the, the guitar amp uh, speaker was. Uh, and that was done just in time for their first album, Kinks. And uh, they released You Really Got Me from that. And then a non-album single was All Day and All of the Night. Uh, and they were immediately edgier than any of the uh, other songs they released. And honestly, in 64, they were edgier than, than The Beatles, than The Stones, and The Who. You know, that's why they're often considered proto-punk, you know. So getting to that first album, again in 64, Kinks, uh, they, they were able to merge in many ways their swagger and their edge and the laid-backness, that kind of like, you know, we know what we're doing, but we're going to, you know, keep it a little intimate and casual. It's understandable why they, they are considered proto-punk from this very first album. Uh, but it's a typical first album of 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 that period, which is means it's mostly cover songs or other people's songs written for them. Is one or two of those, and and what's funny is those songs, the covers, even the other original. Uh, I think it was a producer or something, uh, are on the whole they're edgier than their originals. At the time, except for You Really Got Me. That was the one on there that was as edgy as some of the covers. The rest kind of lean more traditional blues rock and late 50s rock and roll. Uh, The harmonies are very traditional. Uh, But uh, at times, and this is the kinks to me, their traditional approach seemed almost uh, snarky. Like on the song I Took My Baby Home, it's like a punk rocker doing a version of an old rock and roll song, meaning deliberately simple and obtuse and uh, of course they developed from there but that kind of like yeah kind of you know edge that they had to them will continue throughout their career and their solo careers and when i talk about influence and, and influencing other music and and also in particular my music you'll see a parallel there so some of my favorites from this album uh the chuck berry cover beautiful delilah so mystifying uh, the cover, Long Tall Shorty, Took My Baby Home. Uh, from Side 2, uh, The Shell Tam, Tal Me, I think that's the producer, uh, and uh, and very much kind of a pre-Velvet Underground song, Bald Headed Woman, loose and subversive, at least in its first half, and then it changes. Uh, and again, a Tommy song, I've Been Driving on Bald Mountain. That's two songs that he wrote. If you're scoring, uh, that you have the word bald in it, so he might have had a complex. Uh, it sounds a bit like the band Them, the Van Morrison band Them. Uh, stop your sobbing because he said, Stop it, stop it. And, and even though it's not a great song, it just the delivery again is is very kind of edgy in a way. Uh, also from that year, Kink Size Session it was the EP just a month later, and they're already pushing their envelope. They did their version of Louie uh, Louie, which it's, it's a great cover of that. And I also like their song, Things Are Getting Better, from that EP. 1965, Out of the Gate, Tired is Waiting, is just a spectacular single tired of waiting uh it builds on the previous hits but in a very different way it's slower and and all the non-album singles are all pushing forward too and of those i like set me free little girl and see my friends Uh, and some uh, eps came out early in the year that featured some of these singles that's all you need to kind of know about that but then the album kind of kinks comes out in 65 and now it's almost all originals And you can hear the leaps that that Ray, in particular, is taking in songwriting, even though there's still a foot in the typical kind of white British R&B sound, too. Uh, It was rushed out. There was some filler, is what they say. But the stuff that moves it forward, the sound, is so good that it makes the album overall good, I think. Uh, Some of my favorites, Nothing in the World Can Stop Me Worrying About That Girl, was just subtly haunting. Tired of Waiting For You, like I said... Uh, so long is is another one. Uh, Something better beginning. It's not my favorite song, but you can kind of even hear a little bit of the song "Come Dancing" in this, like you know, twenty years before almost. Uh, Quiet Kinks EP spelled K W Y E T came out in sixty five. And as advertised in the title, it's deliberately folksier and quieter. It's pushing away from the proto. They were already restless to say, we don't want to be pigeonholed as these edgy punk. We want to show you that we can do other things while still keeping the attitude and the lyrical edge. And it's getting closer to sounding like the the true kinks. A well-respected man is a perfect example of them shifting styles and that they could go there and still have a hit. Uh, Don't You fret's also really good. And then another one they put out in uh, 65 is the album The Kink Controversy. Controversy spelled with K. Uh, it's transitional. It's mixing elements of the first two albums and the previous EP. And it starts out sounding like the other albums, but immediately attract two pivots. Uh, and it kind of goes back and forth all around. But track three is an example. Track three is uh, when I see that girl of, no, uh, gotta get the first plane home, uh, is an example of how they're moving forward uh, that crunchy sound in ways that are not completely like you really got me and all day and all the night and all that. The vocals are a little more in the pocket, He's a little more uh, you know confident and kind of getting to where Ray's style would be for many, many years. And the lyrics are more developed over overall. Um some of my favorites ring the bells, got to get the first plane home until the end of the day. So great. So great. What a good song. Dun, dun 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 like that uh the world keeps going round is kind of psychedelic and i think it actually influenced some of the psychedelic music that would come where of all the good times gone is another one 1966 uh comes and the singles uh great single dedicated follower of fashion really to me is the song that kicks off the kinks, what's considered their classic era, their strongest era, the run of singles and albums that even though, again, at the time, were not as commercially successful uh, after a certain point, were still their highest critically acclaimed uh, work. Uh, Dead End Street, another one, uh, really ushers in, to me, the the what they called Baroque pop, what we would now call maybe chamber pop, uh, but their, their attitude-laden brand of that. Not laid back, but not so laid back as you might think. Uh, and from that year 66, Face to Face, which to me is their first true classic album, much more chamber pop. It was considered maybe one of the first ever concept albums, although the concept albums they would do later on would m- make this not seem like that. You could say, it, to me, this is when Ray Davies' voice became fully realized for the first time, both lyrically and physically, still has that energetic uh swagger uh in parts and still a bit of their early sound here which is interesting so uh I, even though it kicks off to me the classic era there's still a little taste of transition in this album which i mean you could say that about every album but some i think much more than others uh party line it opens the the first side good song and it to me kind of presages loa uh, lola loa um because there's a line in there, is she a she at all? So there's this is a thread that had gone through Ray's uh, writing for decades, really. So a nice rock start. And then Rosie, won't you please come home? Just straight up chamber pop. Dandy is similar, but with some folk and British dance hall in there. Session Man's another good one. Rainy Day in June is very psychedelic and doorsy, and they were said to have influenced the door sound, actually. So you're going to hear me say influence a lot in this episode because the fact of the matter is throughout their career, but especially in the first really even 20 years, they but but definitely 15, they advanced their sound in ways that was often ahead of the times and that would hurt them in some ways like commercially, but in other ways uh, it, it, it wouldn't and whether it did or not, the influence of so many different styles is there and we'll talk about that in the next section weighed down the song fancy is very trippy and then of course sunny afternoon just top three kink song for me and i did a version of this uh uh, one of my online concerts during the pandemic look at that which brings me to 1967 uh some non-album singles mr pleasant another music hall uh, uh chamber pop excellence uh, Susanna's still alive this is a this was considered a Dave Davies solo record even though it was just all the kinks playing on it but it was under his name and it's a really damn good song and I gotta say for all I would say almost all his career I love Dave's voice I mean Ray is the the man but Dave's got a great voice and can be very edgy uh, and so and in some ways much more straightforward but in in a good way to me, Dave's voice on this song, uh Susanna Still Alive sounds like a mix of Ray and like mid-range McCartney. Uh, Autumn Almanac also a very cool song. Uh 2067 uh, the the album Something Else by the Kinks comes out and it sounds more like the Kinks than anything before. If you think of the Kinks, this is probably the album to dive into because it's as closest you'll come to the, the classic Kinks sound. Right off, but right off the start, it's experimental and energetic. They're able to incorporate those two things and still have hooks and all of that. Their early sound with the do up and all those other things is finally gone. It it would return, believe it or not, at some point in the seventies in a different way. But they kind of knocked all that out and were a really like not derivative in any way shape or form on this album it was not well received at the time but it's often considered one of their top three greatest albums and it might be my favorite i mean david watts death of a clown which was um you know another dave single it was very country but great song two sisters which is chamber pop no return which is a little samba beat uh harry rag uh this the, you know uh, situation vacant I love the song Situation Vacant. Uh, side two, Love Me Till the Sun Shines, uh, there's another Dave Davies song. It reminds me of Sweet Emotion, believe it or not. Uh, Lazy Old Sun is just full-on psychedelic, and I absolutely love the song for that. And Afternoon Tea is also great. And then, of course, the absolute classic, Waterloo Sunset. I mean, you can't, again, you can't really get better than that. And I think it's often considered one of their greatest songs ever. Uh, Which brings me to 1968. uh, Some of the singles they released uh, that year, Wonder Boy, Days, and Lincoln County. Uh, which is all solid, but that last one, Lincoln County, grips me because it sounds like they're doing Dylan, but in their own way, which is very cool. And what's interesting about 68 is this is kind of when their popularity was waning, especially in the States. And yet one of their greatest albums, one of the greatest albums in history of any band, The Kinks Are the Village Green Preservation Society comes out in in this year. Uh, Again, not a hit at the time. Uh, It's an early concept album. And it's the point at which Ray Davies took over as producer. For those of you just listening, not only do I have Come Dancing with the Kinks CD in the back, which is the only one I own, I also have one of my shirts from my store, DIY. It's one of my favorites, and it's in part in honor of the fact that they were DIYs from this point on, with Ray producing all the albums. And I'll talk about that again later. Uh, This shambling sound that they start on this album is what would carry them into the early mid-70s. So it was of its time, but it was ahead of its time in ways that, again, weren't well-received at the time because it was, I guess, a little too ahead of its time. The chords are more complex, but it's still hooky. It's still concise. You can hear them transitioning again because they would transition throughout their career, adding chamber pop with grit which is one of my favorite things. I've done a lot of that in, in, in not a lot, but enough of that in my career to where I get that chamber pop sound, but I add some grit to it. Uh, and honestly, this album's usually in anybody's top uh, three. And I love, love, love Side One, uh, Village Green Preservation Society. Do you remember Walter? Picture Book, Why well, I mean, maybe my favorite on this album. And this is a clear influence on Stone Temple Pilots' Big Bang Baby. Listen to... Kink's Picture Book and STP's Big Bang Baby back to back. And you're going to hear the riffs being super similar. And Wyland's first lyrics are, I got a picture of a photograph. I mean, you can't get any more obvious than that. And yet they made it their own. And anybody would say that. Uh, Johnny Thunder, a great song. And it's also where the New York Dolls' Johnny Thunders got his name. Uh, And then you have Big Sky, which is... The chamber pop slash grit, which is a great song, just a great sound. Side two, and I'm not as uh fond of, but Starstruck is a great song, and uh Wicked Annabella, also a great song. Uh Mr. Songbird is on certain versions of this album, and it's basically to me their version of the 5th, 59th Street Bridge song. So if you want to say that. 1969, some singles, Hold My Hand and Plastic Man, both good. I think they're on the compilation somewhere as being some of their best singles. Uh, it's the first the first one, Hold My Hand, is Dave Davies again. Soundwise, again, the, the first one is looking forward. Plastic Man, to me, is looking backward. I guess more, is it chamber pop, kind of? I can't remember. But also this year in 69, Arthur, or the decline and fall of the British Empire. Again, really poorly received, but again, ranked as one of their best ever. The best from any band uh, it was meant for a TV show that was never developed. They're leaning even more into the shambling grit and a less chamber music, more country rock creeping in. Ray doing this kind of fuller thing with his voice in the way he's talking. He liked to morph his voice in the same way that Scott Weiland liked to morph his voice. It's as though he's taking on a character here. Uh, and I think this album, so far, is up till this point in history is their most consistent from side one to side two and maybe one of my favorites of the first one victoria excellent it's like a mccartney solo song yes or no sir can hear how uh, songs like this influence 90s bands driving i love brainwashed is revisiting their earlier sound but with everything they learned Again, a huge influence, uh, as far as I'm concerned, on other later bands. Australia, long solo section at the end, and kind of reminds me of early Chicago. Uh, Side two, Shangri-La, sounds like freaking Bell and Sebastian. Uh, I'm sure they heard that. Mr. Churchill says is another great song. Nothing to say is like Lady Madonna if it was done by the band, meaning the Robbie Robertson, the band, the band. Uh, which brings me to 1970, and the last one I'm going to do before the break, and it's a big one. It's, the, it's a comeback album for them at the time. Lola versus Power Man and the money, money Go Round. I always want to say Monkey Ground, but it's Money Go Round. Part one, commercial comeback artistically still in the pocket. Anyone who has reviewed them would say that. It is a shift into the new decade as worthy as any shift of any band, including the Stones and the Who, who would subtly reinvent themselves during the beginning of that decade. Again, Ray produced this. He's producing all the albums at this point. Uh, That concurrent trend of rootsier music has definitely taken hold here. There's hardly a trace of the chamber pop. Uh, it's a commentary on the music industry and all that stuff and the life and the mu- in the music world. There were plans for a part two, but they got busy with other stuff and they just, just and it shifted and did something else instead. It's also the first album, uh, Kinks With No Pete Quaife. John Dalton had completely taken over at this point. And I think he was a little bit on the previous album as well. Uh, the album, to me, though, doesn't take off until track four. And after that, from that point on, it's absolutely incredible. Get Back In Line. Lola which is a favorite of one of my kids for uh, specific reasons. Top of the Pops. It is a power pop song. The Money Go Round. Side two, this time, tomorrow, my God. A Long Way From Home. Rats, Ape Man. Also a great single. And I think this is a perfect time to take a break because we're getting into the 70s, which is uh, not quite yet, but coming up a very different era for the kinks Uh, in a lot of ways Uh, so thanks for hanging with me for this first half Uh, check out my mid-roll and I will see you in a bit hey so I was going to do the usual and just list all of the links that I'd love for you to check out but I realized that everything you need to know and everywhere you need to go is at nickdomadio.com. That really is the hub. I list all the links in every episode just in case, but nickdomadio.com is where I put everything that I do. If you want to know more about this podcast, whether it's the audio version or the YouTube version at youtube.com slash app music is not a genre or wherever else the podcast shows up, or if you want to support the podcast at patreon.com slash music is not a genre, just go to nickdomadio.com. It's all there. If you want to check out my full discography of original music and covers, For my band, Rec, R-E-C, and beyond, it's at NickDimadio.com, including all the streaming and social links for wherever you listen to music and wherever you check out your social. My acting clips are there. My voiceover clips are there. Graphic design, my blog, and most especially, it's the best place to contact me. If you go to NickDimadio.com slash contact or just hit the contact is on every single page. You can send me a note, say hello, ask me any questions you'd like. You get a newsletter a few times a month. And if you have a project of your own and need work done for it, whether it's audio editing or music or voiceover or graphic design, or if you have an event and you need live music, go to nickdimatio.com, contact me, say hello, let me know what you need. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Yeah. So which is crossfade backwards, Um, although not phonetically. I I love trying to recreate backwards words phonetically and then playing them forward. And it sounds like you're an alien speaking English, but uh, not not today. Let's get to 1971. So you had the Lola comeback, right? which, again, wasn't come back artistically, just commercially. Artistically, it's still in the pocket. In 71, they released an album called Percy, which not a lot of people know. I don't know if it was released in the States, honestly. Uh, it was the soundtrack for a British comedy film. And to me, it's sort of a, it's an extension of Lola, but in a more intimate way, which, uh, and with orchestration. So those two changes kind of befit a soundtrack, more intimate, more orchestration. Uh, and half of it's instrumentals. So again, you can you can see that it's almost like uh, Yellow Submarine, you know, or half of its instrumentals. Uh, God's Children, great song, absolutely love it. Uh, and moments at the end of side one, I also really like. Uh, and then side two, uh, I didn't pick any. So yeah, this is one of those where you you respect the fact that they were going in in a, in a different direction and trying new things. Uh, music synced to a uh, dramatic production, which would become a big thing. Uh, the drama will become a big thing for them very soon, but it's not one of my favorites. Uh, That said, that same year, they released Muswell Hillbillies, which again is considered one of their best albums and again was not a success at all at the time. It's considered the last album of their classic period, of that kind of five-year-ish stretch of utterly amazing albums, one after another, to me, it's stylistically it's in the same vein as as Lola and uh, the Monkey Ground, which I'm just going to keep calling that. Lola and the Monkey Ground and Percy. Uh, though it's starting to creep in. What's starting to creep in is a uh, more American styles, more Americana, more different kinds of American music, which is uh, you know makes sense considering the title. We we'll use the word hillbillies. You can hear why it wouldn't have been a hit. It's pretty laid back. It's pretty esoteric. Uh, and before I get to the last comment here, I think this is a perfect example, although there are examples before and certainly after, of why the Kinks to me are the really the biggest indie band ever. Because even though... Plenty of huge bands have gone off on tangents and done uh, different styles and experimental things here and there. I don't know if there's been a band as huge as the Kinks who've gone in as many different directions as the Kinks have gone. And regardless of whether or not it was a commercial hit, they followed where they wanted to go musically. I assume most of them agreed, although there was contention, uh, you know, and Ray was kind of the leader in that. Uh, You can also see Ray inching more towards the the concept albums that would come up very soon in the 70s on Muswell Hillbillies. Uh, Some of the songs I like... Acute schizophrenia, paranoia, blues, which has a New Orleans feel. It's got the horns. I, I, I don't know. I think was this the first time, other than maybe the orchestration on Percy, uh, where horns were incorporated in a significant way in, um, you know, in the Kinks albums. I'm sure there were a few before then, but really show up here. Holiday sounds like Tom Waits in style, the, the way it's arranged even in Ray's voice. And this is two years before Tom Waits released his first album. So interesting there. You wonder if maybe he heard, you know, any of this, or if there was just sort of a thing that was happening at the time that both picked up on. Who knows? Um, I've not talked to any of these people. Uh, alcohol although not one of my favorite albums again sounds like a freaking town tom Waits song on uh, side two holloway jail is a song that i do like but again this is not one of my favorite albums 1972 uh, everybody's in showbiz adding more americana but otherwise kind of the same it's a little funkier than muswell hillbillies and the horn section is still there and sounding great you know i'm a big fan of horns there's a lot more energy on this album than on Muswell Hillbillies. Uh, and for sure, it is thematic and it's much closer to a concept album the way some of their previous albums were considered proto-concept albums. Um, and and for one thing, the jadedness in the ennui of kind of being a part of uh, an industry that you know, runs you ragged and screws you in many ways is definitely settled in. Uh, but let's keep in mind that Ray's attitude towards things has a jaggedness pretty much throughout even on some of the mellower songs and i'm going to talk about that in the influence section uh some of my favorites here comes yet another day the opening of side one opening of side two motorway really like uh and also you don't know my name another dave Davies song uh and and what's funny to me he's like the morris gibb of this band where he brings a different energy to it that still fits and and, but yet it's a very welcome different energy Uh, and Celluloid Heroes, which is just a classic uh, single. And I think their last, like, super big single before they'd go into their middle muddle period, whatever you want to call it, which would come up in 1973 with the album Preservation Act One, which is their first true concept album. And it also continued their commercial slide. But it's been critically adored Maybe not as much as that classic period I talked about, which supposedly end with Muswell Hillbillies, but still pretty well uh, regarded. Uh, they stepped away from heavy Americana and bringing in more energy, but also more atmosphere. And, and honestly, for me, and I'm talking about uh, Percy, Muswell Hillbillies and Everybody's in Showbiz, I like Preservation Act One quite a bit better than any of those albums. Uh, no matter where it ranks, anytime I ever see lists online, you know, the top, uh, how, you know, this band's albums ranked, this artist's albums ranked, it's like anything. I agree with some of it and disagree with some of it. The only thing I shy away from is when everybody kind of knee jerk makes the same albums, top three or top one or whatever it is. But otherwise, you accept that there are differences of opinion. I would put this close to the top, like not the top, but maybe top five, maybe top seven. I don't know. Some of the songs I like, Daylight, which is just a beautiful droney song. Sweet Lady Genevieve. Uh, There's a change in the weather, which is awesomely funky, and the horns are amazing. Uh, Where Are They Now? Excellent. One of the survivors is a great single. And I basically mentioned almost everything from side one. Side two... Uh, Money and Corruption, I Am Your Man is uh, straight up theatrics. Harkens back to the first song. It's not one of my favorites, but I just wanted to mention that. Here comes Flash. I gotta wonder if this influenced the Queen song from the film in the 80s, because even though it's not anywhere near identical, there's an energy to it in the way it's presented that seems very similar to me. Which brings me to 1974, the follow-up to this album, Preservation Act Two which is not just a two, it's also a double album. Not very well received and not usually ranked as one of their best or or very critically acclaimed anywhere. It it turns out it, it it went over Better Live, which since it is a rock musical, it's a concept album, it makes sense that it would go over Better Live. It's interesting, it's absolutely worth a listen, but I agree that it's hard to get through. Uh, You can, you know, if you see it performed, you probably enjoy it a lot more. Style-wise, it's very similar to Preservation Act 1, but it just doesn't gel for me in the same way. But I will say it sounds somewhat, actually quite a bit, like Rocky Horror. And Rocky Horror came out the year after this. So again, it might have been a zeitgeist thing, it might have been an influence thing. Who knows? I I do love how experimental it gets. Songs I like on here, Money Talks, uh, He's Evil. Uh, from side one side two side three, oh where oh where is love which is a decent rock musical song and has female vocals uh, and side four artificial man it's weird and i like it for that 1975 soap opera third concept album in a row and again not well received at all uh this just continued their slide into obscurity into the indiness that i've been talking about Sticking with the horn section, which I think is absolutely cool, but uh, kind of a hundred percent away from Americana, which for my taste is also kind of cool. I can only take I can take a, a quite a bit of that, but only so much of it. Uh, it is absolutely a rock musical. It is also often quite funky. Um, it was initially developed uh, the soap opera for a teleplay, so it's super theatrical. I don't think it was used for that teleplay. I I wonder what the music would have been like. Uh, what the music world would have been like if any of the kinks theatrical albums in this period actually succeeded because there are plenty of rock musicals that have succeeded uh, before during and after this period none of these did and i just wonder what you know where that influence would have gone considering all the other influences uh they you know perpetrated uh no doubt though Ray's songwriting still great just I don't know if there's a more consistent uh songwriter in the again in the big in the big four over a decades long span let's say overall it is a more accessible listen than uh the preservation act two and it does have a good arc for a concept album I like the arc of it everybody's a star star maker a great single it is very very Bowie and a very good song When Work is Over, Have Another Drink are some of my other favorites. Uh, Aside to Holiday Romance is weird and it's campy in good ways. Uh, And A Face in the Crowd is another one that I really like. Same year. Uh, So 74 are we in? Uh, Dang, no, I'm sorry. Uh, 70 I'm scrolling. 75. So same year, the album Schoolboys in Disgrace, which is the last concept album for them. And yet, it's a pretty big shift in style. It's This is the point at which they go back and pull in some of that 50s throwback influence, doo-wop and pop, that they had abandoned after their third or fourth album uh, completely. There's also a little taste of arena rock, although the people who say this is like their arena rock period, I don't think I would agree with that. Um, I haven't been a fan of 50s throwback music since maybe uh, Billy Joel's The Longest Time, but... Um, so this mostly falls flat for me. But again, the songwriting is great. The, the or closer to arena rock stuff is really good and it's forward-looking. Uh, and I think it's an important album because they're getting out of the sounds and, the, and the, the approach of the last few albums and moving them into their next phase, which is their late 70s period, which to me has been vastly underrated. Uh, the first side I'm not a fan of. Side two I like quite a bit. I'm in Disgrace, Headmaster. The Hard Way is kind of like a power pop glam rock song. No More Looking Back is as mid-70s as they ever sounded, especially that keyboard. They had such a great keyboard player through this whole era. And Finale is the last gasp for, I think, quite a while of a horn section and of backup singers, uh, and a neat little one-minute song. Brings us to 1977, so nothing in 76, right, is what happened. 77, they put out a single called Father Christmas. Absolutely top five uh, kink single for me. And it's possibly, possibly, and I'm going to say this, the best rock Christmas song. I don't mean early Phil Spector. You know, you can't take away from that and all that stuff. I'm talking about rock, like straight-ahead rock Christmas song. I think this might be the best. And I love performing this with my band. Uh, Not a hit at all when it came out, but has since become very popular. It's covered often and is always around some point during the holidays. That same year, 77, Sleepwalker, is a nice transition into a sound that's like southern groove rock that sounds a little like Steely Dan and Steve Miller mixed together. Uh, Like gritty blues kind of southern rock kind of thing. It's a scaled down sound, which I think serves them well at this point, which again, the, the instinct for Ray and for the kinks in general was to always do a little bit for an album or two or three and then shift. And I love that because that's evolution. That's where that's a that's on music someone who's in love with music as opposed to someone who just loves music or does music. Uh, this is also first album that Andy Pyle was on. It's also their first charting single from this album in quite a few years, and it's very mellow but very listenable. Uh, I think uh, "Life on the Road" was a holdover from the previous album style. Uh, but what I, I like the single Sleepwalker quite a bit. Um, from side two, I like jukebox music. I think Sleepless Night is an underrated song. I think Stormy Sky is another underrated song to the point where I just put it on a playlist, which uh, n- next week my podcast is going to be about my playlist. I'll talk about it. Uh, Life Goes On Ends the Album is another great song. 1978, uh, single, nothing from non, no non-album singles, but that year is the year that Van Halen released its version of You Really Got Me, and it is freaking iconic. And it, to me, is on a par with the original. They're both amazing for different reasons. And when we do it live, we do a mix of the Kinks and Van Halen version. I can't let the song go by without one of us doing that David Lee Roth, you know, short, you know, punchy wail that he does in the chorus You Really Got Me. I mean, I don't want to go that high because it'll blow the mic out. But you you get the point if you've heard the song. Also that year, the album Misfits, which continued their very slow rise back to commercial success. It's even mellower than the previous album, which is kind of cool. And it's kind of late 70s, let's be honest. It's very similar to the previous album. It's also the last appearance of John Dalton uh, on bass. Uh, Ray's voice shifts again. And to me, this is the first album in several years where it doesn't seem like he's putting on a persona. Like he's just, this is me. Which, any, all of that's fine. I love shifting my voice or whatever, but you kind of always like it when somebody's in their own pocket, which he has been off and on throughout his career. Some of the songs I like, Live Life, which to me was a bit of a taste of what was coming up soon in the late 70s and early 80s. A Rock and Roll Fantasy, which was a hit uh, in a foreign land. Side Two. Black Messiah. I love that they released this song as a single. It's basically a song about Jesus was black in 1978, just like Lola talking about something that was ahead of its time that was very hard for people. to so, so again, the, the single didn't do well, but I love that they did release it as a single and, and it's a damn good song and worth a listen out of the Wardrobe, to me, is a follow-up to Lola more because it talks about... To me, it describes what Lola might have been doing at home. That's kind of what the entire song Out of the Wardrobe is and how the 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 guy's wife is trying to come to terms with uh, the way he likes to dress and all that stuff, he or she. Uh, Trust Your Heart is a strong return for Dave Davies because he hadn't done one in several albums. And Get Up... Uh, what a strong song, very forward-looking and very positive, very rousing. Uh, 1979, low budget. First for uh, Jim Rodford on uh, the bass. And a big shift forward, it incorporates punk, a little glam. It shows they weren't content to stay with the music they were comfortable with, not that they ever were, but but... In that case, there are a lot of artists who they don't stay with one kind of music, but the music they're doing is always looking back. And I've, I, it's fine, but I've always loved artists who can take temperature of what's going on right now and incorporate it in a way that is organic for them. I do that all the time, and that's that's something the Kinks did throughout their career. Again, this album continues their commercial rise, and of course I love the production, because again, 78 to 82 is my sweet spot for production, one of them anyway, and it rocks harder than anything they'd done since the very early 70s. Uh, Might be one of my favorite albums, honestly, Uh, low budget. Uh, Attitude, great. Catch Me Now, I'm Falling. Uh, National Health, It's the first time I heard a synth on any kink song. I think it might be the first ever. Wish I could fly like Superman, a big hit. Side two, low low budget. I almost put this on my playlist because it's basically a song about somebody having to live on a low budget. I'm like, oh, I know that. Yeah, but I didn't put it because the the feel didn't quite fit the January playlist. But you'll find out next week what's on the playlist. Uh, Also, In a Space. Sounds like Bowie mixed with Jagger in such an amazing way. A little bit of emotion. A gallon of gas is blues rock, and it's really funny. And it talks about, he basically lists all these things like, I can get you some kinds of food or whatever. I can get you hard drugs. But the one thing I can't afford is a gallon of gas. And if you know the gas crisis of the late 70s, you can see. Uh, moving Pictures, it uh, ends the album. It's got synth uh, yet again. Skipping 1980, there's nothing. 1981, give the people what they want. I remember when this album came out, I remember the name of it in particular and a couple of the songs. It was really well known to certain of my classmates because they again shifted their sound. They incorporated metal. It's just a great sound overall. And honestly, the most energy they had on any album since really the early, I think early 1960s, like mid-1960s. I love the synths. Uh, like Lola, it's a great example of a legacy band transitioning well into a new decade. They transitioned in the '80s just impeccably, which not every band that's older can can make the new decade this way, and and not comp, you know do a Chicago or whatever. Uh, and really, again, listening to where music was going and adjusting organically, it's one of my again one of my probably one of my top three albums, maybe top five. Give the people what they want is a great song. Killer's eyes added up is awesome post-punk also the name of a femme song no relation side two destroyer was huge in my school especially among the metalheads as i mentioned in the first half of this episode there are two references to old kink songs all day and all the night you'll hear right from the very beginning and lyrically mentions lola it's it's not straight up metal it mixes metal and new wave and it does it amazingly well yo-yo is great back to front is great Art Lover is funny and forward-looking to the next album. Not one of my favorites, but a comment there. A Little Bit of Abuse, another good song. Better Things is to me like Bowie's Heroes, which means it's a song that's been even better received as it ages. It was kind of a minor hit, even a bigger hit than Heroes was at its time, but I think it's been more and more revered as the years go on. I'm actually covering that with a a new band that I'm a part of called Joy Buzzer, uh, founded by Jed Becker, and it's probably because Fountains of Wayne did a cover of Better Things right after 9-11, live on TV. I think it was on Letterman, I'm not sure, Uh, and then ended up recording it or it ended up on a compilation of kinks uh, and just an amazing thing to hear right after that happened Uh, and 83 we get to so another year skipped state of confusion this to me is sort of the high water mark of their comeback period not in terms of art artistically i would like the previous two albums better but commercially And I, again, remember this so well. And this is the album that reignited my interest in The Kinks. Then the interest wouldn't last very long at the time. It wouldn't come back to years later. To me, it's a natural progression from the previous album. It's super strong. Again, not one of my favorites, but there are a lot of songs I like. And it's not as mellow as you might remember. State of Confusion. I remember that song. I love it. Definite Maybe. Good song. Come Dancing was just huge in my childhood part of many 80s retro mixes it's the name of their greatest hits album etc uh don't forget to dance was another hit for them and it again so bowie just so bowie uh young conservatives like their mid-70s work and I remember this, it's not one of my favorite songs, but I wanted to mention, I remember the sentiment of this song that at the time when I was in school and then subsequently when I went to college, there was such a rise of young conservatives. So I love that he wrote a song about this. Uh, Clichés of the World B-Movie is another one I like a lot. 1984, World of Mouth, Word of Mouth, really to me, is the last album in their comeback period and their last super successful album of their career. And also the last big single. I think word of mouth is stronger than, uh, holy crap, State of Confusion. Uh, I I, I just do. I just do. I like the sound better overall. Ironically, even though it's later into the 80s, it sounds less, less 80s cliche than State of Confusion did. So who knows? Again, they like to shift. The opening song "Do It Again," I freaking remember this song. Uh, it reminds me of some of the songs from uh, Lennon's "Milk and Honey," which I think came out the year before. But it's also kind of like the Romantics in that it perfectly melds sixty sound with eighty sound, so it's really cool. Like "Word of Mouth," I like "Good Day," which is uh, those first three songs I believe all had drum machines on them, and so it was the debut of the drum machine in the Kinks world. And the song, the they they say in "In Good Day," Diana is dead, which was kind of a weird you know presaging of something that would happen many years later living on a thin line i didn't know this was a dave Davies song or honestly even a kinks i remember i can hear living on a thin line oh tell me now what are we supposed to do and then i find out that it's a kink song i just i remember this really and it might be dave's best song ever I think. Side 2 massive reductions has has uh, synth again but also horns are back. Uh, another uh, Dave Davies song guilty uh and strong and really rocks. Too hot sounds like Huey Lewis to me from their rocking period. Uh and Summer's gone is a single I kind of remember. I don't remember loving it but I just kind of remember it. Uh 1986 think visual it was meant to be yet another concept album. I don't know if it ended up being that or not. It, it, and to me, I guess it sort of is. It, to me, it's able, it was able to tackle a story with more concision and getting to the point than any of their previous concept albums. Uh, it's the first album in their catalog not to be listed as Side One, Side Two, because it was primarily released on CD. Uh, they had been certainly fading a bit in popularity by this point. It's not my fave. I do like working at the factory, repetition, uh, the video shop, which is reggae, natural gift. That's about it. I mentioned 1998's live, the road because of the title single, which is actually a very good single. And I can't believe I missed it when it came out. Uh, 1999 UK jive is not even on streaming. So that tells you how not well it did. It did have their last charting single. I don't think, I think at this point, this might be the first album where they weren't really breaking new ground. Uh, I think they were looking back more style wise, I think more than any of their albums uh, up till this point. Uh, But overall, I actually think it's stronger than their uh, previous album, Think Visual. Uh, And it's the last appearance of mick avery in any capacity He only played in a couple of songs on this i believe how do i get close is a good single uk jive i like what are we doing entertainment war is over is a great acoustic rock throwback and is my favorite on this album down all the days till 1992 i remember this song and i don't know why and this was 1989 1991 an ep was released did ya? Uh, The title track was a mildly successful single, but again, they'd fallen out of the spotlight by this point. DJ is like a song that sounds like Dylan mixed with Sunny Afternoon, which is kind of a neat thing for them to do in 91. New World is funky and is actually breaking new ground to me. It sounds like uh, something from u 2 Zuropa. It's a talk song, mostly political, social commentary, and I really like the sound. Look Through Any Doorway is a strong Dave song. It's power pop, and it's strong And their last album, Phobia, from 1993. It's their 24th album. And again, Ray produced everything from 1968 on, including this one, which is absolutely incredible to me. Village Green was the first one. Decent entry. Into the into the new decade album wise, I think Digia is stronger, uh, but absolutely to me sounds like older guys trying to do stuff, newer stuff or whatever. And it, it, plotting to me, a it plot it's plotting until the last few songs, and even after that, it gets plotting again. I think you could see they had lost some some steam, but I do like Phobia. I like Don't. And I like Hatred a Duet, which is a bit of a new sound and good, a very, very good song. Close to the Wire is a good Dave song uh, and Scattered. Great song. It was a single that wasn't successful, but great. They released a live album uh, to the bone in 1994. And I only mention it because the title track was their last new single ever and a pretty damn good song, but not streaming after that. Uh, solo albums were released uh, by both Ray and Dave after they broke up officially in 96. Last thing released in 94 of new uh, music and broke up in 96. Officially, Ray's done six total uh, solo albums. One in 85 and then the other five subsequent to their breakup starting in 1998 with his first straightforward studio album is what they say and ending in 2018 so far. And it's not surprising that his last two solo albums are tributes to Americana because he's always loved that, partly with the Jayhawks. Dave has done eight total solo albums, three in the early 80s, and the other five after the band breakup, starting in 2002 and ending in 2017 so far. Uh, I'd like to listen to the solo albums. I haven't heard much of it, but I plan to. Uh, some notable tribute albums. 2001, Give the People What They Want, Songs of the Kinks was garage, punk, and indie artists. 2002, This Is Where I Belong, Songs of Ray Davies and the Kinks is indie and power pop artists. That's where that Fountains of Wayne song is. Keep that in mind. So, conclusions. All right. For me, where do they rank? Beatles, Stones, Who Kinks? They rank in extremely close third. Beatles are always my top. The Who is a band that I am constantly inspired by. And they morphed in ways just incredible. La- even their most recent album, Damn Good. The Kinks are really close to The Who for me. And maybe more consistent overall. Especially songwriting wise. And we're able to have decent hits in the 60s, 70s, 80s and a little bit in the 90s. and And why I put them over the stones is... Nobody's going to say the Kinks were a more successful band. The Stones, some would say not a better band, whatever. The different kinds of bands. Really, the Kinks were kind of like a one, almost a one-man show with Ray, uh, although there was some collaboration in there. But it's because the Kinks influenced me more. They resonate with me more than the Stones ever did. Uh, they just hit me in a more direct place. They, they, their diversity, their willingness to explore tons of styles is just leaps and bounds over the stones to me who have found their style and stuck with it. For the most part, they've added things here and there uh, they're about the almost on a par with the who just in different ways. You know, I think, I think style wise, I probably resonate a little bit more with the who, but in terms of approach, I resonate more with the kinks, you know, cause just when you thought they might get stuck in one mode, they shift every few years I love that they followed the music wherever it took them. It's something I do, regardless of commercial success, and God knows I haven't had any of that. You gotta go where the music tells you to go. Uh I do think it is mostly a singer-songwriter band like Wings, because 99% of the tunes were Ray's. But his writing was always so strong. And the and the instrumentalists that were there and Dave's contributions also really strong. Uh they have influenced so many bands and so many styles and and here's the thing if you steal from the kinks you will seem brilliant because most people don't know their work well enough and they should be emulated more but really they're not who are they emulated by a lot indie bands you know no surprise there they are the biggest indie band ever but I think when you find bands and artists that you like that not a lot of people have heard and you emulate them or steal from them, quote unquote, and incorporate that in your sound, you are doing the world to me. You're doing the world a service because you're bringing back a part of the life of that band or that artist. And they, yeah, they've absolutely influenced me. I mean, more than anything, sound wise, not quite, but their approach. Uh, you know parts of their sound for sure, but their approach in the way they create music. But I think the biggest influence is what I, something I mentioned about Ray's approach in particular. There is a jaggedness. There's a kind of an edge to everything they do, even the softer songs. There's a restlessness in all of the music. There's there's nothing super laid back about it. And the thing, listen to any of my songs, wreck uh, and all of that stuff, even the ones that are mellow. There's something very forward about them and that's how the kinks always were and and I, I don't know why that is there's almost like a it's like the urgency of needing to create music comes across in the music itself which is not always the case but is i think true for the kinks and true for me you know there's just a certain agitation there you know i like that word agitation when i'm describing a lot of my music even songs you might not think have that underlying they do if not sound-wise and maybe lyrically and all of that, which brings me to the featured song. And again, there's no direct parallel to any of the music I make, and not a lot of it sounds like what the Kinks did, or if so, I may have shared it already. But their approach, their amalgamation, their mix of pop and sweet and edge and acerbic, their songwriting chops, their consistency, all of that has influenced me so much. So I chose a song from a recent reissue, ninety-six, ninety-five when I was going under the name Nick, it's a song called Just the Same, because it mixes pop with rock, with weirdness, with, uh, and lyrically, there is bitterness there, there's grit along with the sweet, there's piano in there, but there's, there again, there's that kind of the grittiness and a hardness in a lot of ways, you don't feel soothed, even though the piano separated from the song, could seem like a soothing piano. You don't feel soothed by this song. And that's, I think, why I chose it for this. Uh, the bridge is odd, it's super odd, but it works. There is some campiness, a little campiness, a little drama in it, the way the Kinks would incorporate and into a lot of their music. And there are hooks. It's a songwriter's song, and it's, to me, reminiscent, at least in terms of approach, uh, uh, of the Kinks. Uh, that's kind of my episode. Don't forget the bonus uh, M extra video. Uh, I'm going to be playing two songs, a Kinks song and an original song, not just the same, another original song that I think actually is closer in sound to the kinks. Go to patreon.com slash music is not a genre to find out which two songs I play. Uh, Questions for you. Are you a Kinks fan? If you're not, why did you stay with me for all this? You got to rethink your life. If you just spent over an hour with me, you're not even a Kinks fan. Unless you wanted to be, and this is how you discovered about them, then I love having you here. Actually love having you here, even if it was a mistake. Where do they fall for you in the British invasion hierarchy? The big four. Do you think they deserve more recognition? I want to know answers to all of this and anything else you have to say because as always my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you for hanging with me for this slightly longer episode and I will talk to you next week.